We are in our series on the Sermon on the Mount, and um, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited about this particular message for, uh, for this reason. I think so many people look at Christianity as, as a bunch of set of rules that we have to follow, and if you break the rules or if you don't do it exactly the right way, uh, then, then you feel condemned. Have you, have you ever felt that way sometimes? Maybe the way you were raised or maybe you got around another Christian and they said something to you like, hey, hey, you're not, you're not doing it the right way or you need to do this or you need to stop that, all these, all these things. And then we, we, we kind of get on ourselves and we feel like, am, am, I, am I really doing what's right? And, and do I feel like a failure as, as I'm trying to follow um, um, Jesus Christ? And, and what I love about this section of the Sermon on the Mount as we're going through Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 is Jesus gives us the rules um, behind what, 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 what he's trying to do here. There, there's a reason uh, behind the rules. It's not, if, if you read through the Sermon on the Mount, I think at face value, we can take it. We can just say, ugh. More, more stuff that I'm not doing right, <laughs> right? But more, more, more ways to make me feel more guilty about my life or what I'm not doing the correct way. But I, I want you to see today, there's, there's a reason behind the rules. And you, you have to remember, when Jesus is speaking, he speaks to many people at the time that were rule keepers. They were so intent on keeping the rules, but they weren't necessarily following God with their hearts or or really loved God, they were more in love with the rule keeping than following God. So what Jesus is doing here, he's going to really speak to some of those that were motivated by serving God the wrong way by just, you remember that, you remember that kid in school, right? That was the teacher's pet, right? And just always had the right answer, always, you know, wanted to do the right thing. And you, you, you call them, you know, that, you know, the teacher's pet, whatever, right? And you, but you weren't sure if their motivation was really pure, right? Well, you, you've got these religious people who on the outside look so holy and everybody's saying, oh, look at them and look at all the right things they do. But Jesus, he's going to speak this message and he's going to show them, listen, you're not as holy as you think you are. And what Jesus is going to do is he's going to get right to the heart of the matter here. And I think for many reasons that people give up on Christianity is for that reason. They feel like a failure. They feel like they can't keep up. Um, I've made too many mistakes in my life, and, and it's, just not, it's just not worth it. I just feel condemned. And maybe you feel this way. Maybe you look at others, and you, and, and, and you feel like you don't uh, measure up. Well, let me, let me just tell you this morning. First, let me say this. Um, I've got good news for you this morning. Because I believe that this message will help you with that and to work through some of those issues. And, uh, and, and for many that were living during the times of Christ, they felt uh, the same way. And, and that religion actually became a burden to so many that they actually gave up. And so what Jesus does is he comes uh, to explain the reasons behind the rules. And not, not simply just to come... I remember, you know, as a kid many times, you, you get these arguments with your parents... And, and you have a really good argument, and then they come back with this one because I, because I said so. Remember that? You're like, that's not a reason. That's not, that's not an answer. doesn't matter because I said so, because I'm your mom. I'm your dad. Doesn't, remember those? And you're like, but I still won the argument. You know? And they're like, I don't care because I said so. Right? Um, I, I don't want us to look at the, the Sermon on the Mount and just say, okay, because God said so, I'm supposed to do it. Now it's just a bunch of rules that I have to follow, and it's, it, it, it sucks the life out of our relationship with Christ. So if you've got your Bibles, 
You can look up in the screens or, or on your mobile devices. Let's look at Matthew chapter 5, and we're just going to look at verses 17 through 20. This is just power-packed couple of verses here in Matthew chapter 5. And this is where Jesus says in the part of the Sermon on the Mount where he, he begins to say, I've come to fulfill the law. Now, remember, Jesus is speaking to a bunch of, of people that are following the law. They're trying to follow to the T, and they look very religious by following all the rules. So, so here's, here's what Jesus says. Because some of these religious leaders are thinking that Jesus is coming and setting up this whole new religious system and actually coming against the law of God, but that wasn't it at all. Jesus actually came to fulfill all the religious requirements that God, that God desired in us that we couldn't keep ourselves. So here's what Jesus says. He says, do not think that I've come to do what? Abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but actually fulfill them in his perfect life. Verse 18, I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter nor the least stroke of the pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of these least of these commandments, and the teachers and others do the same, will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And here's verse 20. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Wow, there's a lot of words there. So let's, let's break this down. And let's see what Jesus wants us to actually understand here. If you look at verse 20, right away that seems disheartening. If you look at verse 20, Jesus says, Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will not enter to heaven. Now right there, everyone that's listening to Jesus would have given up because they're, they're like, there's no way. I'm not as smart as them. I haven't memorized the whole Torah. There's no way. I might as well give up and just go do my, do my job, do my day job. And it, it would be like for us saying to, to us here today, unless you can, through, unless you can shoot a three-point shot like Steph Curry or unless you're smarter than Albert Einstein, you can't go to heaven. Right away, we all say, okay, I give up, right? That's what basically Jesus is saying. He's saying, you know, you know, and many of us are sitting here saying, man, I'm not even smarter than a fifth grader, right? So, you know, that show, I don't even watch that show anymore, you know, because it just makes me want to cry, right? Makes me want to go back to fifth grade. Actually, makes me want to go back to fourth grade, so I learned everything I didn't learn in fourth grade. Um, so what, what, base, what is Jesus saying here? Well, basically, Jesus is saying is, listen, it's impossible to be righteous on your own. It's just absolutely impossible to be perfect, perfectly righteous on your own, to, to come to God in your own strength. Because, see, that's what the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were doing. They were trying to be perfect by the law. And so right, right away, Jesus says, it's impossible. You see, the Pharisees and the scribes were at the top of the religious hi- hierarchy. They were the elite of the elite, and that's what they thought. Jesus was making a point here, and the point is you can't in your own strength become perfectly righteous. Even though the Pharisees and the scribes thought they were perfect, outside of Christ, they would fall short as everyone else would. So what's happened in Jesus' time is this. Many were following God and, and, and trying to follow God, but they were not really following God as much as they were following the rules. And so here's the thing I want you to see. I got some notes here for you guys today. 
just so you pay attention, okay? So if you're the note takers out there that like to take notes, this is for you, okay? Because I love you. Okay, so here's the first thing I want you to see. Jesus doesn't want rules to take precedence over a relationship with God. Jesus doesn't want rules to take precedence over a relationship with God. Here's the reason why. The rules at that time began to take over, and they cared more about how they looked and by the rules they were following than actually following a relationship with God. So it was more about how they looked on the outside, keeping the rules that makes you look good and good to others. The Pharisees loved this, and they looked religious on the outside, but they were very pious on the inside. And and so obviously on the inside, they were corrupt. They weren't doing it for God, but in fact, they were doing it for themselves. And Jesus called them on this, and of course, they didn't like this. And so for many of the religious at the time, they were so focused on the commands that they lost focus of the one who was actually behind the commands. And so this, this, and, and this caused a real misunderstanding of the intent of why God gave us the law. Why did God give us the Ten Commandments? Why did he say, you know, thou, thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou, you know, thou shalt love the Lord your God, don't serve other gods, don't have idols. You know, why, what's the purpose uh, behind this? Well, they missed the intent of the reason why God, they fell more in love with the rule keeping than the God who gave them the rules. Now, now parents can relate to this. And, and I can relate to this as our kids are, growing up and, and they're in their teenagers, but I can remember, especially when they were small, and they, obviously they still do this as teenagers, but have you ever given a command or, or, or instructions to, to, your, to your child and they miss the whole intent of what you meant by your instructions? I'll give you an example. So it's time for bed and you tell your child, hey, go to bed, and then an hour later they're up playing with their toys or they're still on their phone. If you have teenagers, you know exactly what I'm talking about, Right? And you're like, so you say, why aren't you asleep? And then they would say something like this. Well, you told me to go to bed, and I'm in bed. Now, how many know, is that what we meant by go to bed? Right? See, when we focus just on the commands like the Pharisees in Jesus' time, what will happen is you, you will look for loopholes and technicalities. And kids are great at technicalities and loopholes. When, when, I will do this with my kids. So when I give them an instruction and they don't follow through correctly, I will ask them, do you think that was my intent? No, dad, I don't think it was. Then why did you do it? You were looking for loopholes, right? You were, you were looking for technicalities. Do you think that when I said go to bed, I meant for you to stay up late on a school night? Is that what you thought I meant? Have I ever done that? No, dad. Right. So I, I loved it when our kids were younger. Um, and and I, we would tuck them into bed, and, and then I would hear scampering upstairs, you know, like, like little roaches, you know, all over the place. And so what I would do is I would, um, I, I would go up the stairs, like making these big, and they're like, here comes Dad! Here comes. And they all like scatter like roaches when you turn the lights on. So, and, and then they'd all be in their beds faking that they're actually sleeping. So I would just stand there. I'm like, you guys aren't sleeping. All of a sudden, you know, they crack a smile or something. And, and I'm like, didn't I not tell you guys to, to? Well, we were upstairs. No, you weren't in bed. You were upstairs. You're playing. You're, you're, not, you're not doing what I'm telling you to do. See, see, what happens is this, is that we can lose the intent of why God gave the commands 
if we simply focus on the commands. And so this, this is what Jesus is trying to get at here. You see, loopholes, like any of us understand here, th- there's loopholes for everything. There's loopholes around paying taxes, loopholes at work. Uh, if, if, you know, an employee handbook can end up being a thousand pages because people have taken advantage of something, so they've got to keep adding to it, right? Because someone found a loophole. So now you've got to add a rule to that loophole because someone found a loophole around that rule, right? And so it ends up being 5 million pages. Just look at any government document, right? It's 8 million thousand pages. Who can know it? Who can read it? Who can understand it? It's because of loopholes and people taking advantage of something. So what Jesus does in his sermon is he cuts at the heart of loopholes. And so the Pharisees and the teachers of the law took the commandments of God. They added so much to them that it became so burdensome. Now, they would say things like this. They would say you couldn't even pluck out a gray hair on your head on the Sabbath because that would be considered work. I'd be spending a lot of time plucking out a lot of gray hair, right? Um, See, do, do you think for a moment, do we think for a moment that is what God meant by rest from your labor is is that you shouldn't pluck out a gray hair. No way. But that's what they did. They took it. They loved the rules. They kept adding it to it. They made it burdensome for everyone else. And so what happens is we can become more focused on the letter of the law and not the spirit behind which it was given. And that's where legalism sets in. That's where we become harsh and rigid and not tender and open. There's a balance between grace of God and the truth of God, and that's a delicate balance to walk because sometimes we can fall on either one. We become rigid and legalistic about so many things and how we do things and the way we do them, or we can be so gracious and way on this side that we lose sight of sin and what God desires from us. And so there's a delicate balance. You see, here's what I want you to realize if you're taking notes. The commandments were not given to prove how holy we can become. And that's exactly what the Pharisees started doing. It. They were using the commandments to show how holy they were. But they were given, listen, listen, this is so good. They were given to protect our relationship with one another and ultimately God. So if you look at the Ten Commandments of God, right, the first part of the commandments, the first half of the commandments, are about how to protect our relationship with God. The latter half of the Ten Commandments is how to protect our relationship with one another, to keep it whole and pure. It's not to be used to show, look how holy I am, and look how perfect I am, and I'm better than you. It was all about our relationship. That's why Jesus says, listen, I can boil down all 613 commandments for you. I can boil it right down. Love the Lord your God. Mother, heart, mind, soul, and strength, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. I can boil it all down for you right there. What, what, what did Jesus just boil it down to? Listen, he boiled it down to this, our relationship with God and our relationship with one another. That's what he boiled it down to. It's all about our relationship. If we get that right, then we're going to serve God the right way, and the rules aren't going to become a burden. They're going to become a delight. Are you hearing what I'm saying? They're going to become a delight. I'm going to, the rules aren't going to become a burden because, because I'm serving God out of my heart and I love him. And it's not a burden to follow these things. It's actually a delight 
because I want to love God more in my, my heart and my life. And so it's about relationships. So in chapter 5, what, what Matthew does is he addresses six areas that, that, that gives the true intent behind them because the religious of the time really messed this up and did, did not see the heart of God. So what Jesus does is he blows up all the loopholes and he gets to the heart of the matter. And what Jesus addresses here, if you read the rest of chapter 5, he addresses anger, lust, divorce, taking an oath, retaliation, love for your enemies. So now he's hitting, I mean, he's hitting some things and you just begin to read like, right? And now we can feel condemned and like, man, I messed up there. I messed up there. Man, I just blew up at somebody yesterday, right? And so now we're like, man, I blew it. Let's get the intent behind it. Remember, he's speaking to the Pharisees who think they're perfect in keeping this law. So let's get behind it. So, so, so what we see here is Jesus will say this. He'll say this as he reads through this, as you look through the rest of chapter five, he'll say this. Jesus will say, you have heard it said, but I tell you. What he will do is he will bring clarity to the true intent of these issues. And so what they were doing is the Pharisees, they were trying to keep the law, right? But because of the loopholes and where their hearts were, they said, well, we weren't, we're not, not necessarily having an adulterous affairs or we're not doing this. But yet Jesus knew where their heart was. And so listen to what he says here. He's, he will bring clarity to the true intent of these issues. It reminds me of the story of Babe Ruth, the great baseball player. And uh, Babe Ruth got called on a strike three by looking at the pitch. And he was so mad at the umpire that he called him a tomato head. And um, so he looks at the umpire, he goes, he goes, I knew that wasn't a strike. And the 40,000 people that were watching knew that that, that wasn't a strike. And this is what the ump said, said to Babe. He said this, the ump said, that might be true. But he says, my opinion is the only one that matters. <laughs> So here's the thing. Here, Jesus is basically, in so many words, saying, listen, you may have heard it said by some of these so-called religious people how they're trying to interpret the law, but he says, I'm going to tell you the truth behind it because my opinion is the only one that matters. And of course, this isn't going to sit well with the religious, right? So I didn't like him because he spoke to the truth in the heart of the matter. So as followers of Jesus, we need to heed the word of Christ. So what Jesus does here, he goes to the heart of each issue, not just the technicalities. For the religious, they would hang their head on how good they looked. So they would say, and we can do the same thing, can't we? We can try to show our religious piousness by saying, well, I've murdered anyone, right? We can say these things, and we can try to measure up ourselves. I haven't murdered anyone. I haven't committed adultery. And Jesus says, oh, yeah? Oh, yeah? Mm-hmm. Really? Mm, 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 mm. Okay. So what Jesus does here, as we go through the rest of chapter 5, he goes, but what's going on in your heart that no one sees except God? So Jesus will say this. He goes, I say to you, and you have heard it said that you shall not murder, right? But I tell you, anyone that is angry with his brother has hate in his heart. Ooh, the Pharisees don't like this one because now Jesus is getting to the heart of the matter. Jesus says, now go make it right and reconcile. See, anger is at the heart of murder. Oh, Jesus really knows what he's talking about, doesn't he? That's why he's God. Jesus says, you have heard that you should not commit adultery. 
And they may say, well, we haven't committed adultery. But Jesus says this. But Jesus says, if you look at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery in your... Right? Now we're getting somewhere, right? Got really quiet, right? Because we know it's truth, right? He said, you, you've heard it said uh, to hate your enemy. But I tell you to pray for those who persecute you. Hmm. You've heard it said that I don't get mad, I get even, but I tell you, do not retaliate. See, what's Jesus actually getting at in the rest of chapter 5? Well, he's getting at your heart. Because we can so easily justify our actions through our technicalities. Well, I didn't sleep with him or her, but I went there in my mind. I didn't kill anybody, but by my words and what I thought, oh boy. I... I, I don't like that person, but this is what I tell people. I just don't like them, right? We hear people, you don't, you know, I just don't like them. We make it sound really good on the outside, right? But, but then the realities of our heart is there's hate in my heart. And what I say about this person to other people is character assassination. So Jesus wants to deal with the heart of these issues. For where your heart is, eventually you will go. So we are shocked many times when we hear someone that's fallen, a Christian that's fallen. But at the root of this is, is a heart issue. And, and we all battle with temptation. And Jesus knows that if he has your heart, he will have the rest of your life. And so what Jesus wants to do is through these commandments, Jesus wants to protect his relationship with you at all costs. So if you can look at this as saying, listen, it's not a, you know, when I was a youth pastor, I would have teenagers come up to me all the time and say, Pastor Barden, how far is too far in my relationship with my boyfriend or girlfriend? I said, the moment you ask me that question, it's not good. Because why? They're looking for technicalities. They're looking for loopholes. How far is too far? I tell them, the minute you get alone and your heart starts going pitter-patter and your mind starts to go, there you go. Really? Mm-hmm. You see, the question we should be asking ourselves is not how far. The question we should be asking ourselves is why? Why am I asking that question? The question should be, Jesus, how close can I get to you without allowing this to destroy my relationship with you? You see the difference? Now the rules don't take on technicalities. The rules take on my heart. Jesus, I'm going to please you with all my heart. So is it, is it just behavioral modification? It's just saying stop doing that. See, Jesus understood there's a heart problem. And my heart says, I feel this will make me feel better. And if I do something that I know is wrong or out of the will of God, it's a heart problem. It's not just a rule-keeping problem. It's a heart problem. Now, we all have problems and temptations in our lives, don't we? My, my big problem is chocolate chip cookies. I just, I love cookies. We had the Gerace family reunion yesterday, and it's the Italian side of our family. Boy, they know how to cook. And one of my dad's cousin's daughters made homemade cannolis and the fig cookies. I, I, I sinned yesterday. I did. I just ate way too many. They were so, and they were like bite size. Like popcorn size? And I, I lost count after 35. I don't know what happened. I just lost count after, you know. Now, here, here's the thing. Here, it, it, I just, 
you know, I was bloated. I was lying on the ground in a coma state, state of mind. It was just crazy. See, now, here's the thing. Now, I can look at those cookies all I want and try to resist. Ain't happen. I can try to rebuke them. I could cast demons out of the cookies. It's not going to work. It's just, it's not going to work. Um, so what's the way out? What's, what's the way out of our heart? Is it the technicalities? Is it trying to justify it? What Jesus does, he does something for us. And this is why Jesus says, I've not come to do away with the law. I've come to complete it. So what he does is he completes all the demands of the law for us that we couldn't do for ourselves. Jesus does for us. And, and, and in my heart, I'm, I'm looking to do that thing to fulfill something that only Christ can. If Christ actually becomes my, the object of my desires, then he becomes my identity. And what begins to happen is there becomes a heart change. And I think what we're trying to do is we always say, if this other person could change, don't we do that? My life would be so much easier. If this other person, if my spouse could just do this or be nicer, or my boss, blah, 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 blah. But Jesus said, listen, listen, I, if I can change your heart, you're going to look at that situation with a totally different perspective. So what Jesus says is when he becomes my desire, what happens now is my heart changes. So what begins to happen is anger, lust, hate, all of a sudden subside because I began to take on the heart of Christ. I don't take on technicalities now, right? Because if I do the technicalities of the loopholes, my righteous standards are going to be my righteous standards and not God's righteous standards. And that's what got everybody in trouble in the first century. And so what Jesus says, I speak to your heart. Because if I've got your heart, then what's going to happen is anger and lust and hate and all those things aren't going to be that object. You're, you're going to get a heart check when those things well up or those temptations come. And so the best way to deal with your wayward heart is to be honest with Christ about your weaknesses and confess it to him. The best way to deal with your wayward heart is to be honest with Christ about your weaknesses and confess those to him. So here's, here's the way we do that. God gives us this gift of repentance to help us thrust us towards God, not away from him. We think that if I repent, then that's, that's going to repel me away from God. And God says, actually, repent, repentance draws you closer to me because now you're being open. So repentance gives God permission to deal with my heart. See, what we want to do with, with, with our waywardness, we want to hide it from God because we're embarrassed. And God says, no, I want you to do just the opposite. I want you to confess that thing for me so I can deal with it and I can heal it and you can begin to take on my heart and my desire. So repentance gives God permission to deal with my heart. So, so, so um, Jesus, I, I, be honest with me. I battle with anger. I battle with lust. Jesus, I have hate in my heart. Jesus, alcohol has overcome me. Whatever the thing is, give it to the Lord. See, this may seem like a weakness, but it's just the opposite. It's being very wise. So what you need to do is you need to remove the thing that causes you to stumble. See, resisting doesn't work. You gotta, you gotta, it, it takes radical surgery sometime and we need to cut it out. And so what Jesus does is, if you look at the scriptures here, he gets really crazy radical at the end of chapter 5. And what he says is in verse 29 and 30 is this. And he's talking about sin and 
in the things that are in our heart. He's talking about lust and, and those things that, that can so easily overcome us. He says, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body and be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than the whole body and go into hell. Now, Jesus ain't meant some words there, is he? See, and what, what I want you to see here is Jesus uses this overstatement to make actually a point so that everybody would go, wah, right? Now, now he's got their attention. See, removing it, Jesus says, is radical surgery. He wants that thing to be cut out of our life that is actually harming us. And sometimes we just, we play with things and we think that we're strong enough and we think, oh, I can handle this. Don't lie to yourselves. Listen, I, I, I counsel way too many people that walk way too close to the flame. And when you do that, you get burned every time. Jesus says, give me your heart. Because the reason we walk too close to the flame is because we're walking in technicalities. I can handle this. I haven't gone all the way. It was just one, it was just one lunch meeting. It was just one text. It was just this. It was just that. I, I, listen, if I had a dime, right? You heard it. For every time I heard that story, right? I'd be running for president right now with all the money I'd have to run for president, right? God help our country. Anyways, okay. So here's, here's, here's what I want you to see. Jesus makes this overstatement to make a point. He says, let me have your heart. And when I have your heart, you're going to take serious those things that are causing you to stumble in your life. Um, I don't know if any of you saw the movie 127 Hours. And um, incredible story about a man named Aaron Ralston. True story. He's a mountain climber. First mistake he made was not telling anybody where he was going. And uh, what happened was he got stuck from a falling rock and and. Basically, what happened is this rock crushed his hand, and he couldn't move from that spot, thus the 127 hours. He was basically going to die there. He had no supplies. He's he's basically going to die with his hand being crushed. Five days, seven hours, stuck in this cleft of the rock. And after almost giving up, he said he had this epiphany, had wisdom on what to do, And so in order to actually free himself, he would have to amputate his forearm. And by amputating and cutting off his forearm, it actually saved his life. And this is what he says. He said, I didn't lose my hand. I gained my life. Jesus says this to us. He who lays his life down, gives up his life, will actually find it. And I think for some of us in this place today, haven't really died to ourselves yet. We haven't really died to some of those desires. We haven't really gotten serious about it. And Jesus says, listen, 
If I've got your heart, then I'm going to have your life. And for some of us here, there, there might be some things in our life that are keeping us from knowing Christ fully because we've allowed those things in our heart and our life and, and they've kept us in bondage. And Jesus says, cut that thing out. Listen, can I just get radical with you today? For some of you, it may be dumping out all your alcohol in your house. For some of you, it may be some movies that you have in your house. I don't know what it is. It, it just, you know what the stumbling block is and you're saying, you know what? I, I, I've got to make a decision today because I know that these things are keeping me from knowing you. Maybe it's a, a, an unhealthy relationship that you know that you have that you've got to cut that thing out. I think Jesus wanted us to realize the severity of his words in verse 29 and 30 because he knows what sin can do to us. And the re- listen, I don't want you to walk in and say, oh man, Pastor Barden, he just got on us today. I don't want you to walk away with that. I want you to walk away with this. The reason why. I don't want my five-year-old, when she was five, or my kids when they were five, to walk across 104 by themselves is because why? I want them to get hit by a car. The reason why Jesus is so radical about this is not to get on you and try to make your life miserable because he knows how sin leads to death. Because he loves you so much and he doesn't want anything to come in between his relationship with you. And he wants you to live in that freedom and that joy of knowing that you're in a right relationship with him. And this is how wonderful the word is. When we do make mistakes, we can confess our sins and Jesus is faithful and just to forgive us of all our sins and cleanse us from all righteousness. Listen, he's done it all for you. And so he says, the reason why I've given you these things, the reason why I've come to fulfill these commands is because I knew you couldn't do it yourself because you're going to fail miserably. But I've come to build a relationship with you so that you would know me, that you would fall in love with me, that you would know what I've done for you, that you would serve me with gladness, and that you would find this hope in your heart. So let's get radical. And those things that you know are a stumbling block, maybe some of you just need some help and you just need to confess that to somebody and say, man, I just need help. I'm really struggling in this area of my life. Hey, we're brothers and sisters in the Lord, amen? We're here for each other. Not to beat each other up, but to say, look how much holier I'm. See, when we become legalistic and religious, we hide everything from each other because we're too afraid of what people might think. But when we fall in love with Jesus, we become more vulnerable because we're not trying to please each other. We're trying to please Jesus. That was really good. I should have preached at the end and we could all have gone home in five minutes, right? So let's pray. And we're going to take communion. And this is what I want us to do. Here's what Paul says. Paul says to the Corinthian church this. Listen, don't come to the table of the Lord haphazardly. Examine your hearts. And so what I want us to do as we pray is I want you to examine your heart and just give that thing to the Lord. If you know that there's an error of your heart that you say, Jesus, I'm just going to be honest with you. I don't want to take communion in an unworthy manner. 
I, I want to take it with the right heart today. And I just, I know we take it every month and I just don't want to go through the motions of taking communion again because, because what communion symbolizes is your death for that very sin that I struggle with that you died for. So realize that when we celebrate communion, we're celebrating the very sins in your life that Jesus died for. That you can lay those at his feet that he's worthy to forgive and to heal. That's why we celebrate communion. Because he's the only one that can forgive and heal you of all your shortcomings, of all your sins. And so let's pray and let's just, let's allow God to examine our hearts. Lord, we come before you today. Lord, none of us in this place are perfect. Every single one of us has something in our heart that we're struggling with. And so we lay that at your feet. We cut it out. We lay it at your feet. Thank you, Jesus, that you didn't come to add more rules and regulations, but you came to set us free from the very things that hold us captive. So, Lord, help us to see the reason behind the rules. It's not to come to make us feel more condemned, but you've, you've come to actually set us free from that condemnation and guilt that so easily besets us. So, Lord, as we come and we take communion today, just examine our hearts. We lay that thing at your feet today. And we thank you for what you've done for us. In Jesus' mighty name, in Jesus' mighty name, amen.